I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Hello, liturgy guys. I haven't heard that in a long time. Uh, We haven't done any liturgy guys anything in a long time. I hear that we're back. Back, I hear that. I I hear that noise all the time. It's my my text alert whenever Dennis texts me now. So (laughs) is that right? I remember in an old episode you said you were going to do that. Well, did it though. Well, actually, you know what it was before? It was the beer can (laughs) opening. Now that's a podcast. So. Mm But now it's the prepubescent trumpet noise. So, hey, but guess um, what? We're what? back. Season seven. We are back, baby. Yeah. We and... got our podcast back, podcast back, cop pod. Yeah, sorry, that's too, <laughs> too hard to sing. Uh, and, you know, we, we make this joke every year, but Chris still doesn't think this is a good idea. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's, he's coming around to it a little by little. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, how was your summer, guys? Seems like Summer, a long time it's, ago. It's like almost winter now, Jesse. How was your winter, guys? How <laughs> <laughs> was your late and early fall? It was good. Now, we are delayed partly for what various reasons, mostly your fault, as I recall, Jesse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you decided to make a huge life change. And so you no longer work at the Liturgical Institute, correct? Well, that is correct. And it wasn't, it was a decision, but it, it was more of a development than a life change. I would like. So to say. what do you do now? Well, um, I, uh, am now the board president of a nonprofit called the liturgical renewal foundation. And so what I wanted to do is kind of take some of the stuff that we're doing at the liturgical Institute and, uh, have a place to do that. That's a independent nonprofit so that we can have, greater collaboration uh, across the United States and the world for liturgical renewal. And so that's something I'll be cultivating. And uh, we have a lot of great projects that we want to work on for that. But also, primarily, I got a new job. I am now the uh, Director of Strategic Partnerships for BVM Studio, which is a Catholic marketing agency. So how about Mm -hmm. that? So you're the board president. Do you have a board vice president? Uh, Chris, Chris is a vice president. Uh, Am I? You need, I think you need an excited <laughs> vice president, not just a board vice president. <laughs> Chris, whose idea was this? Done. Oh, that's so good. So I miss, listeners, I miss, I miss us, guys. I miss oh. us. Oh, yeah, me too. In case anybody's you know still with us, sorry to keep you waiting and wondering. You know, I got a big box of pie crust from our super fan Vicky Delaney a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she said. I hope that things are going well with the liturgy guys. If it still exists, you know, you can oh, practically, you can practically yeah. see the tear that fell on the card she sent that day. But Vicky, thanks for the pod podcast. No, thanks for the pie crust. <laughs> and here's your podcast. So we're back. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, that's, it's, it's true. I've, I've got a lot of those questions too. And, you know, you can write bulletins and give talks and things like that, but it's the liturgy guys podcast that most people uh, identify me with. So Anyway, yeah, so a lot of a lot of uh, questions to be to about when we're going to start and if we're going to yeah. start. So, so and 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 again, I I do, you know, Dennis, you joke about it, but it is true. A lot of this kind of hinged upon me and what I was doing. He wasn't it, joking. It, it, yeah, uh, Dennis never <laughs> joked. Um, yes, but and we but, are now no longer wholly owned by the Archdiocese of Chicago, so we have 
we are halfway owned freedom (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding no we're not yeah we this is an independent thing now and uh and but we're still partnering with Adoremus and Benedictine College and, uh, and, and all of the, the great people that, that listen to us and, and all of this. And so we are going to kind of build this thing up again. And we're very excited to redo this, uh, restart rather, and uh, make this uh, a really great year. And we're going to be talking this year, Dennis, you want to... <laughs> We'll be talking mostly about my childhood and adolescence. <laughs> oh boy. Mm-hmm. Oh and how boy. I related to at the age of seven and forward, Chris. The Eucharist. So, yes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so even though the Kara study about the Eucharist was pretty much centered mm, Pew on study. my Pew study. Pew study. Oh, yeah. Centered on my life and lack of understanding. Nonetheless, we are extending this out to the universal church, uh, at least the American church. We're going to be talking about the Eucharist. Yeah. We're going to be talking about you, Chris. You, and oh, that's good. Eucharist. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hold on. That is the name of an episode that we did about I know. five years ago. Really? And I came up with that title. And now Chris thinks it's Dennis's joke. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm not, a genius. It's I don't remember that not. show. It, the I, episode I must, is was called. Was I there for that one? Yeah. The episode is called You, Chris. That's because you never listen to the podcast after they're over, Chris. You never see no, what which names just he gave them. I don't. Oh, that's but cool. But anyway, yeah. So this was your idea, I think, Chris, to say, why would we talk about the Eucharist for one entire season? Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit potentially deadly, although we're going to keep it lively, right? <laughs> Divine yes. lively. But oh, why yeah. do this at all? Yeah. Well, the reason is, is that uh, at least the, the dioceses in the United States are uh, currently uh, a part of a three-year, I don't know, plan, celebration, initiative, initiative yeah, called Eucharistic Revival. And this is uh, something that uh, I guess they voted on to, to agree to do this in uh, their November meeting, right? So they meet in June, the bishops, and then in November. And so November 21 the bishops agreed that they were going to have this Eucharistic uh, revival. So it uh, was, it was, it started. I don't know what it's like in diocese. Are you Kansas city, Kansas, uh, Dennis? I am. Yeah. It doesn't technically start till next year, right? (laughs) That's so great that you would say that. No, it started last year. <laughs> it started last year. No, they talked about it last year, but I thought it was no, anyway. no, no, no. No, this is perfect though, because I do think its uh, its launch has been uh, uh, inconsistent in different dioceses. We've been off to a bit of a slow start ourselves here in uh, across for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's well, you guys just got internet, I think. So, <laughs> not to mention that lazy office of worship director. I'm gonna get me to. one of those twitters too, uh, Jesse. As soon as that internet gets. Uh, by the time you get on twitter nobody will want to be on it anymore (laughs) anyways so uh in uh, november 21 they decided they're going to start this and it was going to begin corpus christi of this year that is to say 2022 so it began in 2022 and this first year was supposed to be for as they describe it parish leaders so whether at the diocesan level or I think uh, leadership uh, at the parish level. So for a whole year kind of devoted to uh, parish and diocesan leaders. And then it, uh, I guess the first year concludes with the cor- with Corpus Christi in 2023. And that begins the second year, which is supposed to be more on the uh, parish level. Uh, and then the second year concludes with this National Eucharistic Congress at... Uh, 
what is that called? Lucas Oil Field or Stadium or whatever. And um, you guys have been there for a focus thing in Indianapolis. We were in Indianapolis. We weren't at the stadium, though, I don't think. Oh, wasn't it the yeah, we stadium? Were, we were at the convention center. Ah, back yeah. Here. Yeah, no, I think this is supposed to be at the at the stadium, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure about that. But anyway, and okay, so there's going to so... be a, a week-long yeah. National uh, Congress, and that will kind of conclude the second year and begin the third year, which will go to Pentecost 25, which will be a year of mission, a year of going out. Yeah, so it's a three-year initiative by the USCCB that began in 22, ends at Pentecost 25 to, well, to, to, I don't know. Do you know the motivation for this, Dennis or Jesse? Because nobody knows nothing. No mo. <laughs> That's what it is. That's a big part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for the last 50 years, we've watered down CCD. We've watered down teaching. We've had confusing things. We've had all kinds of mysterious and strange uh, adaptations of the liturgy. And then we wonder why nobody knows precisely how to answer these yeah. questions on the famous survey from yeah. the Pew Research Center. Yeah, yeah. That's right. We're all like mobsters in the 40s. I don't know nothing. Yeah. I don't know yeah. Nothing. Well, but it's, uh, you know, when, when you're right, the, the, the knowledge part is a big part of it, but uh, that's not that's not the only part. So when, when the bishops describe this Eucharistic revival, is not just to make smarter Catholics or Catholics who know their catechism better or who can answer survey questions better or things like that. I mean, that's that's a part of it. But I mean, the I think a lot of the, at least how, how they themselves describe it. And so who's in charge of this is this bishop. Uh, I think his name is uh, Andrew Cousins. He's from Princeton, mm-hmm. Minnesota. He's kind of the chair of this. He is a graduate is of that, Benedictine uh, College, we might add. Oh, is he a really? supporter of the college? Yes. He's actually, I think, I've never met Bishop Cousins, but I think he's a sacramental theologian too. So that's his specialty too. Is he Get a on first cousins once removed from Benedict? Oh, that's good. <laughs> so but Jesse, what they... Jesse's back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Jesse All right. So, so part of the motivation is, as you say, Dennis, there's this, there's these surveys that Catholics don't understand it. Uh, they're not of the same mind as the church when it comes to uh, the belief about the Eucharist. In fact, there's, um, I think in the next podcast, we're going to talk about this Pew survey more, but um you know, what they say, 69, 70% of Catholics personally do not believe it, it, that uh, Jesus is substantially present in the Eucharist. That's one thing. But 43% of Catholics think the church thinks the same thing, right? So only, what does that make? Uh, 57% of Catholics, only 50% of 7% of the Catholics asked think that the church thinks that the Eucharist are merely uh, tokens, you want to put it that way, uh, outward, you know, just shells of the body and blood of Christ. So, yeah, there's there's a real knowledge problem that uh, this rival is meant to address. This was but the I, actual result. They said 31% of Catholics say they believe, quote, during Catholic mass, then bread and the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure if I would say yes to that question, right? <laughs> because actually, what does Depends that mean? Depends on the mass, I guess. Is it? Well, yeah, let's, let's hope it's valid for sure. But uh, does it actually become the body and blood of Jesus? Well, I, I, actual is a word, right? Literal? No. Sacramental? Yes. Physical? Accident and substance? You know, there's there's a lot of nuancing to that question. And, you know, it's not a good not a good question the way it was asked and that there's another one too that says uh is it a sim- does it become a symbol of jesus body and blood and some people said yes to that and then everybody went berserk that oh it's merely a symbol 
But then you and I and all three of us have talked about what a symbol is and why a symbol is not what we think it is and merely symbolic and all that stuff. So I wonder if you actually asked a better question, would you get different results? Either way, it's still good to talk about the Eucharist. I heard that. I heard that comment, Dennis, from uh, uh, Tim O'Malley at the McGrath Institute. He said the same exact thing. So in some ways, you know, I'm hopeful that it's not as bad as we think. But in other ways, you know, we talk about the mass being an offering of oneself on the altar. And I, and I think there's a lot of people who may even be in that one third who still don't understand that. So I kind of waver back and forth, but the, but the thing is, I think we need this Eucharistic revival. Yeah, right. well, the I, terms, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I think just piggybacking on what Jesse was going to say, I think, I think that's what we need to leave this particular podcast with is that, you know, this year isn't about a three years devoted to coming to appreciate the real presence. It's about, see, and one of the other motivations that the bishops say they have is not simply this pew study, but also is that, you know, we have a whole bunch of confused and wounded and suffering people in the world today, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. Well, the church has an answer for this. I mean, because the world does not have an answer for this. But the church has an answer for this. And that answer is coming to this encounter with Jesus, who is most uh, per- most excellently present in the Eucharist. And so I think this is another motivation is that, you know, as, as you know, you look out your window or you read your internet news or whatever, you know, each morning, things are not in a good state. And that people need to be drawn to this life-giving and life-changing encounter with Christ. But you know, what you're saying, Jesse, it's, it's the Eucharist is more than simply, you know, real presence. You know, it's, it's, it's the representation of the sacrifice of Calvary upon the altar of the church in your neighborhood before it's about adoration. So I, in, in some of the things that I've heard discussed is, you know, that this is a, this is a revival to, uh, to promote Eucharistic adoration. And that's a part of it. But it's not, I wouldn't even say the main part of it or the core of it. Uh, it's, I think it begins with this sacrifice of Christ upon the altar where you you meet him and you join yourself to him in offering the sacrifice. You, re, you receive him with humility and docility and in a state of grace in the Eucharist. And then that goes on to uh, lead you to adore him outside of that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's in the head. It's how you pray. And then, you know, we were talking before, this whole third year is about going out on mission. It's about how's it going to change your life? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live differently? So there's a whole lot going on in this three-year revival that, you know, addressing poor catechesis simply. Yes. And we can't ever talk about the Eucharist with me around without getting some eschatological discussion in here, right? I was listening to some of our podcasts, old podcasts yesterday, and we were talking about John Honey and the inner workings of of uh, sacrifice. And he made that point that the crucifixion was the eruption into time of something that was always true, right? That the Christ was slain from the beginning, as the book of Revelation says. And so the idea is not just that old thing is being made present again, but the heavenly future, the fullness of that reality of the Christ risen and slain and uh, you know, joined with all of humanity back to the Father. Like that's the reality we get to participate in eucharistically and um you know i was thinking on my way i went to mass at noon 
and that I didn't have time for lunch. So I was kind of hungry. My blood sugar was low. And then in usual fashion, Jesse was you know, incompetent with the technology today. <laughs> Oh, Sorry, Jesse. I mean, oh. no, that's not a, that is not a <laughs> oh, come on. Let's just say we had some technical troubles and I had a little time to eat and I felt my mood change. Like, oh, my blood sugar is rising. And now I'm, now I'm all excited, ready to go burr, 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 and stuff like that. So think of that at the level of, of the soul, you know, the whole world is starving and we see the, the food of, of the angels, the food of our souls to divinize us, to make us like God, it's available every day. And everybody's like, no, that's not good for me. No, I'm not going to eat that. I'm just going to go on staying, you know, cranky and hungry and empty. I'm going to look for it every other place, except mm. the place that actually um, mm. provides that what I need. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we have this self-help notion or everybody wants some kind of answer to their isolation and loneliness. And man, this is it. This is the truest kind of uh, self-improvement. Well, it's not really self-improvement, but it's available to us to be improved. So there's lots of there's lots of good news in this, right? And I think in some ways, and I think I've said this to you, Chris, maybe to you too, Jesse, is that we, we live in many ways in this post-Trent world, you know? Trent's a long time ago, and the Protestant Reformation's a long time ago. But we have these orthodoxy test points, you know, do you believe in the real presence? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. You're one of us. No. Oh my God. We have to have three years to talk about it. Right? There's something about that point, real presence, yes or no, that seems to be this touch point um, because we're still fighting that fight with Protestants. Is it real presence? Is it not? But we, I think one of the great gifts of the 20th century was it's more than yes or no. It's more than is that, you know, host really God or not? It's what is the Eucharist about? Why is it a thanksgiving? Why is it a sacrifice? Why is it a rite? Why is it an offering? Why is it a mystery? Why is it the action of Christ? Why does a mystical body matter? Why does our membership in that body and offering ourselves as a victim matter? So hopefully that's what we'll do this season is really get beyond the is it or isn't it and say, of course it is, but even more, even more. You almost look impressed by what I just said there, Chris. I got <laughs> oh, that's almost. awesome. I got a really hmm out of you, so that's I like hmm. that. That makes me feel good. You're you're a hard uh, you're a hard sell. So when when I get a thumbs up from you, man, it's like woo. I so my expectations of this series. First of all, I'm I'm just really excited to dive into this. One of the things that I hope we get to talk about is this, um, the importance of both knowledge and encounter, because I think the people pushing Eucharistic Eucharistic adoration. I think that's good. I mean, we should be doing that. We're providing an opportunity for encounter as long as I think there's an opportunity for knowledge and, and awareness as well. And so I, I'm seeing that, I think, you know, I'm, and I, I hope we can kind of talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but the other thing I just wanted to say is, you know, I think me personally, it's very easy to just say, oh, you know, the bishops have this thing going and I'm kind of waiting for them to do something about it. Uh, and and to, to not think about what I, Jesse Weiler, am doing about Eucharistic revival. And I think they're, they're asking us to kind of get, get up and get going and, and assist them in this. It's not all on the bishops. And so uh, hopefully this, this season we can help people do that. Jesse, this is a very, I thought this is a very funny line. So this is how the, the USCCB describes, uh, kind of summarizes Eucharistic revival. It says, quote, the bishops of the United States are calling for a three-year grassroots revival. It struck me as funny that the bishops are calling for a grassroots revival. But I do think that's 
what uh, kind of what you're getting at. It's not all about the bishops, and frankly, it's not going to work if it's just about the bishops. I mean, uh, they should call us who are kind of living on the on the grass level or the ground level or the ground floor to uh, to revive uh, the Eucharist uh, in our lives. Yeah, so it's not it's not supposed to be a top down type of thing from the bishops trickling down to us. Is that uh, you know, individuals and families uh, and campuses and whatnot should be where this starts to starts to come to life. Absolutely. So, I, you know, guys, I'm really excited to to break this open with you uh, for this year. And uh, hopefully, you know, you guys can you listeners can join us on this journey and kind of uh, walk through all of these little lessons on the Eucharist and discoveries. And we've certainly learned a lot over our years of study and uh you know i'm i don't know i'm excited and i'm very hopeful for the eucharistic revival in general i think it's a good opportunity uh to to really get people to that next level in their faith you know i suppose it's like most things in the faith it'll work if you do it but if you don't do it it won't work (laughs) uh yeah if you if you take the if you take these three years seriously i think you'll find out that you'll be better off uh, for it in the end all right, Dennis, are you, uh, any other closing words? I do have a closing word. And that is, there's a lot of complications in Eucharistic theology, biblical stuff, right? Even in the famous John 6, 66, people walk away and say this teaching is too hard, right? So we're not going to try to say that this is not, you know, a difficult thing to talk about, but it's really very simple at the end of the day. Christ says, I want to give you myself so you can enter into the divinity of Godness, right? Christ became God, a man, so man could become God. So he joins himself to matter, and then he says, I'm going to give you myself. But you know how weird it would be to eat human flesh? This is cannibalism. It's weird. It's impossible. You can't have, you know, bloody sacrifices on the altar every Sunday. So he says, this is my body, and gives you bread. This is an equating of something that's fitting for us with something that's extraordinary. And so I think Eucharist in many ways is both. How can that little piece of bread be Christ's body? Well, we don't really know, and it does seem it should be more dramatic, right? But this is the way Christ does it. We can't handle, uh, you know, angels bursting into the to our rooms at night and saying, you know, do this or else, because we'd be more scared of God than choosing God freely. So this littleness that Christ has to have to come in the Eucharist to nourish us in a way that's appropriate to the way we're nourished it's a fantastic, amazing, sublime, and kind of ordinary and sort of regular way. And uh, I don't know if I were if I were God, I don't know that I could think of any better way. And like I think it might be easy to say, why doesn't it look like a ball of light? Why don't I see the Eucharist and there's a thousand angels around it? Well, because we have to choose freely, and that takes a little bit of uh, maybe a test of our faith. And so uh, that's the kinds of things we'll talk about, too. That's God's love. He wants to be with us. He wants to fill us with divine life. He wants us to enter in the, into the life of the Trinity. And it has to be in a way that's suitable uh, to us. Dennis, I've always said this about you. Go ahead. You remind me of St. Thomas Aquinas so much. Really? Oh, yeah. really? I've, yeah. You've never told me that before. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I put on some weight. Actually, I probably never even <laughs> saw that before. But <laughs> now when you're talking, it reminded me of, uh, this is the, on the solemnity of Corpus Christi, the church prints this in the office of readings from St. Thomas. Since it was the will of God's only begotten son that men should share in his divinity, he assumed our nature in order that by becoming man, he might make men gods. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what you say? Yeah, there's a lot of complicated things about the Eucharist, but the end game is 
your divinization and eternal beatitude uh, in the heart of the Trinity. And that's what the Eucharist is about. And, and that means darn happy, right? Eternal beatitude. What does that mean? It means happy. It's darn happy. <laughs> Pure, joyful, overflowing, unending, infinite happiness. And we practice it here on earth and hopefully attain it fully uh, in heaven. And that's, that's what the Eucharist is all about. It's God's salvific mission. Hey, I want you in my fatherly arms in heaven in pure delight. And I'm going to give you something that's super duper easy, you know, one hour a week. <laughs> and then you're going to drink something that looks like wine, which makes you feel good and looks like bread, which you're used to. And that's it. Okay. Wow. Not bad at all. I agree. If only Lars would behave <laughs> that simply, right? Today's Lars's birthday. Happy birthday, Lars. That's Chris's son and my godson. And your godson, yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, we're we're in this new stage of the liturgy, guys, and uh, you know, we're excited to put one of these out every week for you. I just ask that you kind of be patient as we're kind of in transition still, but uh we're going to focus this whole season on Eucharist. So if you have thoughts or questions or topic ideas, you know, we do have an agenda that, uh, you know, different episodes that we definitely want to cover. But if you have thoughts or ideas, uh, please email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. We'd be happy to to look those over and, and see if that's something we can kind of plug into what we're already doing. So. Uh, thank you. And God bless. Yeah, is that is how that, we sign off? Right, Jesse? Can we do is that copyrighted? What? <laughs> Thank you. God bless. No, yeah. it's not copyrighted. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 Jesse, do we have yes. a question? Yes, but not for you, only for Chris. <laughs> Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. All right, guys. This week, we have a question from Beverly. 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 Wow. I don't remember Beverly submitting a question before. You remember? Well, you know what this reminds me You of? know, we've been gone for like nine months, so. <laughs> nine months? Well, almost, yeah. When I was in seventh grade Spanish class, the teacher always used to say, contesta la pregunta. You know what that means? What is your question? Answer the question. Contesta oh. la pregunta. So, Chris. Oh, la pregunta yes, Beverly. For you. Yes, Beverly's question. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Beverly <laughs> says, <laughs> sorry. Beverly says, hello, Liturgy guys. Hello, Beverly. Hello, Beverly. As I recall, you had some interesting things to say about when specific solemnities fell during the season of Lent. I'm wondering mm. if there yeah. are any special yeah. things happening for Christmas this season. I remember we had things to say. Not sure how interesting they were, but yeah, Christmas. <laughs> well, you St. Patrick, everybody wants to be able to eat oh, meat yeah, if it's on yeah, Friday yeah. And, and all that stuff. Yeah. So Christmas this year falls when Christoph von Kostenberger. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, so 2020, is it 2022? Christmas Are you going to do your a... little system? <laughs> no. So Christmas is on Sunday this year. Yes, it is. And... Oh, yeah. So uh, when's first Sunday of uh, Advent? You know that this year? Uh, I'm flipping through my liturgical desk calendar on November 27th. Yeah. All right. So this this Advent will be the longest possible Advent. It can't begin earlier than November 27th. Oh, yeah. You're going to get get four full weeks of Advent followed on the 
all about Christmas on a Sunday. Yeah, because sometimes we get like a Monday Christmas, and you're like, we just lit that candle, and now well, it's I think Christmas. what, yeah, well, I think what might be behind this is last year. When was Christmas last year in uh, 21? I don't know. It was COVID. December Nobody 25th. knows anything. <laughs> yeah, that was right before that huge spike at Christmas and New Year's. Uh, it was on a Saturday, right? So I remember there were a lot of questions. So you had Christmas on a Saturday. Oh yeah, and everybody's and then, like, oh yeah, that counts. Well, it did. And so Sunday was Feast of the Holy Family, I think, right? Because uh, Feast of the Holy Family is the Sunday after Christmas. And so there was all isn't these it, questions. Isn't it Mary, Mother of God? No, that's a week after. That's January 1st. Oh, that's right. you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But that was a, that's a big question is, uh, you know, what, what would you do like with a Christmas schedule? You see, you have Christmas Eve mass on Friday and then you have Christmas Day mass on Saturday and then Saturday night mass. Which one would you have? And did you have to go? And then on Sunday, you'd have Holy Family. So there's questions not only about what mass to celebrate on Saturday night, but did you have to go more than once? It was really kind of confusing. But now we but got double duty, year, baby, right? This year, no drama. Because there's no... All right, Beverly, I hope that answers yeah, it's you. easy. <laughs> no, so you don't, have, you don't have these two solemnities or ho two holy days, Christmas and the Sunday, up against each other. You have just... It's just like Sundays in July. So you'd have uh, Sunday on uh, uh, 25th for Christmas. The 25th. Yeah. And then I think Holy Family, uh, when that happens, will fall during uh, during the week. And then the next Sunday will be Mary, Mother of God. But there's no there's no quirks to the to the scheduling or do you have to go to mass more than once? Things like that. But you know, so, many pastors are lamenting this. Yeah. You know why? I mean, one way it's easy. More right? collections? They don't have, they don't have, yeah. Missing two collections. This year. <laughs> Wait, was that really yeah. what you were going to say? Yeah. Well, it's oh. a real thing, right? If you budget so many holy days of obligation into your mm. two weeks a Good year thinking. or whatever, and then suddenly you're you're down two. That's a lot, right? So uh, double your donation ooh. on both days. Friend of the clergy, Dennis McNamara. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I remember as a kid thinking, and, and I have to say, even though I love Jesus and I go to mass every day anyway, the idea of doing double duty, just, oh, I love it. And there's like an efficiency to it. I can just go to regular Saturday mass on Saturday and, you know, not two solemnities in a row. It's terrible. I know I should want solemnities every day, but it's awesome. Did you write a book on solemnities? I'm, <laughs> it was called Solemnities oh, yeah. and How to Celebrate Them Most Efficiently. <laughs> it's a very short read. I was an engineer at my, in my first major. As a train whistle. Well, Chris oh, was, a, was? Okay. Chris was a mouseketeer in his first. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, Beverly. I hope that answers. A R S T E N S. All right, all right, all right, Beverly. Beverly, Thank you. That is the simplest answer I think we've ever had to give on any question. So I yes. hope that answers. Until your next week. Keep if sending a, easy questions our way. If you have a question for us, questions. you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys or whisper sweet nothings in Chris's ears. Thank you and God bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, get out of my dreams and into my Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y-O-Y-O-Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. 
Our official Rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey, Shrivam, and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.